guys, welcome back to the Rhythm Section, brought to you as always by the Mind Refinery. I'm Kyle Bodens. On this episode, Coburn and I talk about American Head, a new album by the Flaming Lips. We're going to take a deep dive into their current place in the music pantheon, as well as personal stories that inspired this album. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you have time, follow the Mind Refinery on social media. And now, here's the show. All right, guys, here today to discuss the new Flaming Lips album, American Head, is the co-host with the most, Coburn Blair. Coburn, how are you? Good. How about you? Good. It's uh, a a chilly fall feeling uh, Saturday afternoon. Um, It's crisp. I I really kind of want to frame this discussion uh, by looking at, like, how do you feel current audiences view you know alternative old guards like the flaming lips how does a band like them fit into the current music ecosystem i think that's a good question because like i think it makes me wonder basically like what portion of people are kind of going back like in this like zoomer kind of generation and listening to like all psych rock from the you know like that's been around since the 80s and kind of came to prominence in the 90s and you know they're what that's like almost like four decades old so you can definitely hear their influence on kind of bands that have come out and were popular in the early 2000s like mgmt or you know things in in that kind of realm but i wonder what relevance they have to people who aren't really plugged into old music and are getting their kind of music suggestions from spotify or from online platforms that kind of have controlled the narrative on music i think the big thing about the flaming lips is that they haven't been pinned to a specific sound that kind of puts them onto a specific era um you know they've been able to transcend that certain sound um which is an issue i feel most guitar uh guitar based bands especially ones that started out as guitar based bands uh kind of fall into but these guys have a heavy electronic component to what they do now um you know obviously hip-hop and specifically electronic based hip-hop has replaced guitar music as kind of like the top of the pop music ladder but there's still a place for talented multi-dimensional bands you know in the pop landscape you know and i think the flaming lips are this i mean when they first started they fit into that indie rock college rock scene in the 1980s um you know with bands like the replacements and dinosaur jr but you know and through the 90s they kind of changed their sound and had more of that lower end especially on an album like transmissions where they had that more lower end um affiliated with uh, grunge sound as they were trying to like move into the era but i thought you know once they get to the soft bulletin area they expand beyond that and i think in a survival of the fittest world, that was a really good move because, you know, that was their highest high. Um, it was written after Wayne Coyne's father pa- passed away, I believe. And it kind of embraced these reoccurring themes of death and drug, um, you know, drug use gone wrong and loss. Um, I think American Head is a lot like this. Um, and the critical comparisons have kind of focused on that. I mean, at the end of the day, I love the Flaming Lips. But, like, they're, they're, what they did was is they shifted to that more melodic-type music that has, you know, a little bit more staying power. So I think if they had kept on the same wavelength that they were, you know, uh, to, more towards the beginning of the first half of their career, I don't think we would be looking at them with any reverence 
or any you know like any kind of event like you know when when they drop an album i think that it's hard i don't know if like would you call them a legacy rock act at this point i, I think i think that's really the only like the appropriate title for them but i think there's something based on their accolades based on that the fact that this is what like their 16th album and you know they've kind of been around for that long and you know have had staying power and have had you know so many different band members come and leave and they've kind of reformed their sound since then like i don't think there's another appropriate uh phrase really to to use for them other than like a c-rock act it's interesting now because it's like you're here especially when you hear you know when you're you know i'm in i'm in the car you know my girlfriend and i will be flipping through the channels and you'll hear like nirvana or pearl jam on q107 and you start to realize that you know the the lexicon of what is legacy rock um is now changing i mean i love the flaming lips the first time i heard them i was in grade eight i went to sonic temple in north york um pour one out for the young street location of sonic temple you know and i didn't really start loving them until i was 19 and it was uh yoshimi that really kind of got me into them which is an objectively dope album but you know it's it, it's interesting i always wonder how bands like this get turned on to and like how new audiences get turned on to them and i think it's really the the the, the tough situation for them right especially when you have someone like i mean i i think there is the music is their music is valid in this current you know music situation because if you look at someone like wayne Coyne, i mean he's up there with isaac brock from modest mouse in terms of like incredible existential lyricist and they have really great live albums that's another thing too just with this current covid situation you know they're a great live act I, i'm wondering how that translates have you have you seen them live i have i think we both saw them live um together at the virgin festival on the, uh... that's right v v fest 2006 yeah um i think the strokes and the shit and shit were there at the same it was a good one that was the one where um um broken social scene replaced uh massive attack i yeah. think uh for a thing i saw them first when i was 18 i saw them at like massey hall with beck and they were it was incredible it was beck sea change tour um and i believe it was yoshimi for flaming lips uh, anyways it was fantastic they're incredible the sorry uh then i saw them in uh, at SARS stock and they got into a giant wink wink into a giant inflatable ball sort of running over the crowd and they're just an I think they're you know they're an incredible band that's gone through this whole changing of their sound and really since the 2000s they've been able to kind of you know secure this you know this sound that I believe is more relevant and more fitting into what's going on today um what do, what do you think what is like because you've yeah. seen them so many more times than i have what, what do you think is the best like venue or you know crowd size for them like did you enjoy them seeing them at like massey hall or do you prefer them in a big like open field like stars fest was i think their music um because of the you know their post 2000s music and maybe soft bulletin and beyond music it it has there is a grandeur to it and a spectacle to it um with like these swelling instrumentals so i think it can translate to a festival but i mean i'm i really think when it comes to the flaming lips it's um it's more of what your concert bias is mine leans towards a little you know more intimate venues uh so i like massey hall those 
acts together in a more intimate setting was good because I don't think I, I don't think it would have translated. So I generally like to be closer to the artist. I think that there's like a connection and uh, you know and an intimacy that's involved with that, and I think it lends itself to some of the more um, acoustic based. Uh, music that uh, the Flaming Lips put together. Um, because, like, even on this album, there's electronic elements dripping all from it. But, I mean, you can tell that a lot of it was created by just a guy with an acoustic guitar and then was kind of, like, fanned out from like there. Built it up, so, like, from, yeah, from a kind of a... Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, at the end of the day, you're taking three, three to four chords and then building your song out from there. And, like, even some of the most grand songs on this and also on you know uh albums like yoshimi and soft bullets and I, I i think at the end of the day it's still rooted in that wayne coin guy with a guitar plotting an existential tale so i i like it on the smaller venues i mean like what like how do you feel about venues like are you a big venue guy are you a small venue I, guy like i think everyone kind of as much as they can like festivals like likes intimacy but i think for me it depends on the act and it depends on like a bit on the stage show or the showmanship of the artist as well but like uh, there's something that's really great about being at a festival with you know hundreds of other people or thousands of other people which we probably won't do for a long time now and makes me a bit nostalgic for it but there's something special about being you know, in a sea of bodies and listening to music and being captivated, like, all together, you know, like, feels like you're almost, like, under a trance together. I, I yeah, I, I think that's, that's interesting because uh, an album like Yoshimi, it's just the way, like, for example, the title track, part one, lends itself to have a bunch of people yeah. sing it together. There's not a lot of bands that have that level of versatility where uh, you're not losing anything when they're out of their element. So, I mean, I do applaud them. For yeah. That. Well, I don't, I don't think you get to like the legacy and the level that they are at without having, you know, that, that versatility. Cause that becomes almost like your calling card, right? Like how many bands can you really put up there with them and their level of success and their level of relevancy? Like all these years later, like I, I can only think of probably like, I could probably name like a handful of bands. Like with the sea change in the the pop music landscape in the last two decades, and what is dominant and what isn't. I mean, like coming out of the '90s, I mean, obviously hip hop is there, but like the dominant, you know, the dominant forms of music are pop music, your straight up pop yep. music, and uh, and and more guitar based music, and the music industry changes so much, and I feel like. The music at the same time, the music industry in general is always slow to react to these changes, and as a band, you can't really afford to do that. Uh, you can't really afford to get stuck on the same thing. Like for example, um, Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream. Absolutely, a Siamese Dream. I'm listening to probably at least once every couple weeks because I love it so much, but that music is rooted in a time and an era and I have no interest in hearing a new Smashing Pumpkins album. What were your initial thoughts on this album? I uh, I was kind of like floored by it. Like I think we had talked to kind of um, do this podcast I think last week and you said the album's coming out and I like didn't really know what to think. I didn't know what I was going to get into because I, I don't think I'd really sat with any of their music in like quite a long time. So I was 
honestly really floored by it. I found it to be super personal. I enjoyed uh, the electronic elements. I really enjoyed, I don't know, I really just enjoyed the sounds. It reminded me of like, you know, like listening to like more like psych rock when I was like in high school. It reminded me, you know, like just brought a lot of different elements together and I just really kind of blew me out of the water for, for especially like knowing how long the band's been around. I didn't really expect this like going into it. It's interesting about psychedelic rock or psychedelic music because the, you know, injection of electronic music has leads to it. You know what I mean? Like it, it lends itself to it because it adds, especially in a modern context too, because I mean, bands like Pink Floyd were always up like the, the legacy psychedelic bands were always, you know, into the synthesizers, you know what I mean? They were into the synths, they were into um, electronic music, even though it wasn't maybe in vogue for rock music. So, like, when you see... So that's why I kind of think like, with bands like Tame Impala and stuff, like, psychedelic music is actually kind of making a comeback. Um, or you could argue it never really went away because of the oral landscapes that are created in it. You know, it lends itself to different instrumentation, right? So it's not out of the blue. If you have... Um, you know, a, a, a legacy grunge act or something, and they're adding electronic elements. You're like, what the hell is going on? Point, case in point, fucking Smashing Pumpkins on um, on a door. Is, is this people is are this like, what the hell is this? Smashing Pumpkins uh, podcast. You see, here's the thing. I listen, and <laughs> everyone can at me. I will fucking go. I, I will go. I listen. I go to bat for. The first three Smashing Pumpkins albums. They were, they are literally, Siamese Dreams is literally one of my favorite albums of all time. But, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of just have to say what is relevant and what isn't. If you create music that is in a box right away, then it's good to always remain in the box and it's very tough to get out of it. That's why a band like Radiohead, they're a, they were able to do that. Flaming Lips, they were able to do that. But I think psychedelic music is like even making a comeback now and it's acceptable because I even think, you know, even like ASAP Rocky, like, put like, like that LSD song. Yeah, it's, it's, he he was like, making like you know psych influenced rap music, right? Like he was kind of uh, taking that kind of format from the rock bands and applying it to rap music. And I think, yeah, you're starting to see that kind of gap be um, be bridged. And yeah, I think I think you're right though. I think you had it right when you said it earlier that like psychedelic sounds haven't really ever left. I think like acid isn't like the the most popular drug like it once was, but I think that people like psych music and I think they always will. I think it really just has like a place in pop lexicon and I think it's something that you can kind of revisit and it takes you to to a certain place, right? Like it has elements, like you said, like the kind of electronic synthesizing elements and it lends itself really well to melody and we look at like Tim and Paula, we look at like MGMT or Empire of the Sun and you know these bands that have kind of kept kept the kind of tradition going I mean I I don't think people I mean people when you think about psychedelia you think about Summer of Love 67 yeah. that kind of thing but I mean English Summer of Love the British Summer of Love in the late 80s you know with uh, ecstasy dropping and the rise of Acid House I mean that kind of paved the way for like a shift in what is considered psychedelic, what drugs are considered psychedelic, that kind of thing. And I think it's very evident on this album. You know, this album, they're objectively good, the Flaming Lips. And I was, and there's a certain level of quality they put out. 
with that said, I was surprised at the quality of this album. Um, uh, the record's basically a story inspired by, you know, coins growing up in Oklahoma city. Um, it's not like a concept album, but it's like a loose narrative. Um, it's really good. I think it's among their best works to be honest with you. I think I'd say the same. Can, can we also have a conversation about like Oklahoma just having like the best year ever in yes. pop culture? Cause I feel like it just keeps coming up. Like, you know, from Watchmen till I think there was a, something else that like really mentioned Oklahoma. I think it like in the early part of, Oh, it wasn't Tiger King based in Oklahoma. Yeah. So I think what happens is though, with a, with a place like Oklahoma, you're like flat tornadoes, Republican politics in your head. And you're just like, but then you're not thinking about things like the Tulsa riots and this like rich history and um, tragic history. And this idea of, what it's like for people who don't fall into the typical Oklahoman society growing up within Oklahoman society. Um, and as a result of it, you get these like really cool works of fiction, like Watchmen, like this album, um, you know, and like, this was just, this is just him growing up as a kid. And like, it doesn't feel, it, it doesn't feel like a collection of songs. It feels super tight um, unified sonically, uh, rooted in storytelling, and it makes their earlier stuff seem further obsolete. Like the, the, this album makes it like, it really has a direct link, um, to the soft bulletin, which we're, we're going to talk about, but I think that the, what they were able to do on this was fantastic. I think, um, I, I think Wayne Coyne continues to get better as a songwriter as he gets older. I feel the same about Isaac Brock, um, who I mentioned before. You know, he's had a kid now, and he's, as a result, is, like, there's a joy in his life, but there's also a contemplation, uh, you know, being almost 60 and having a child and contemplating your own mortality and being around for it and your own history. And um, I think... If you want rock music to truly last, this is the, this is where it needs to be. I think this is, this is, this is what it, this is what it can be. Um, so what were some of the standout tracks for you? Uh, I don't know. I, for me, I, I love, I love the storytelling of this album and I love that they kind of went with a narrative. Um, I think I really love concept albums or narrative albums, however you, you want to call it. So like, to listen to this album kind of hear what he, um they're doing throughout um i know i just found that really special and i'm really like off the bat like connected with it i think there's something about psych influence rock that kind of brings you back to your teenage years and i think this album is kind of about that and so i think that like instantly like highlighted it and just gave me like you know warm and fuzzy feelings or however you want to call it um so i the intro, like, Will You Return, uh, like, into When You Come Down, and I think Mother of Taken LSD are my two favorite, like, tracks, like, like standout ones. My favorite track on this is uh, Assassins of Youth. Um, it's by some measure. It basically has, like, four really cool parts to it. So it opens with this, like, galloping acoustic guitar and this, like, faux mariachi trumpet synth. You know, the, the vocals are airy, they're ethereal, they're drenched in reverb and echo, and it feels like they're recorded in this huge room, um, and just, like, lays really good, really good groundwork. And then it goes into, after a little bit of a chorus part, into this, like, 
pulsing bass part, um, you know, and the vocal effects are doubled down and, you know, with delays added to it. And it's just so good. It's electronic and psychedelic all at the exact same time. Um, then it goes into this like swelling orchestral uh, strings and synth part. And then it goes into like a full rock breakdown, you know, in the coda. And I think it's really fucking cool how they're able to do this. I like songs that are written in parts like this, where it's like movements from one to the other, where it's not like rooted in the tr traditional, um, you know, pop songwriting format. Um, what what'd you think about uh, I, the inclusion of Casey Musgraves on the album? I liked it. She's, she's really good. I like when he works. I like when I like that Wayne Coyne is just works with, um, you know, people like he worked with Miley Cyrus. They did this um, Beatles. <clears throat> they did this um, basically this uh, cover album of, Sergeant Peppers and Miley Cyrus sang on um, A Day in the Life. She sang the Paul McCartney part, the uh, uh, get out of bed, drag the comb across my head part, um, which was wonderful. And I think Casey Musgraves on this is great. I think, again, like with the, when you have music like this, you can do anything with it, which is why it's it, it's so good. So you're bringing Casey Musgraves on. Her voice is objectively beautiful, and it just adds an element to it. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought so too, and I, I I liked she had like I think backing vocals on uh, Flowers of Neptune Six, which I really enjoyed, and then like obviously God and the Policeman, um, which is like her like credited uh, feature, and I think she's on another song as well. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it was I don't know I, I like I like that like when you can kind of like work with somebody who is maybe a, a bit more of the moment, um, if you want to say that way, and then include them but it feels very natural still. It feels like it, it belongs and it feels like um, it wasn't like they didn't go out of their way to try and shoehorn her onto the album, which I really enjoyed. Do you know what it doesn't feel like? A Lil Wayne sample, <laughs> a Lil Wayne feature. No. Where, the, where it's like we need the obligatory Lil Wayne yeah. you know, feature on it. Um, even though it doesn't necessarily, I find, or I find some people do that with Anderson Pack as well. And obviously I love Anderson Pack, but sometimes I'm just like, this doesn't sound like Anderson Pack should be on this. Like the Anderson Pack with Nas, like on King's Disease. Um, I'm just like, Meh. yeah. It's like, yeah. What was that? For? Nah. What, what? Yeah, I don't know why. I didn't. I could have done without that. What did you? I absolutely. What you think about the 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 length of the album and like all the, the track lengths? I was kind of going into it expecting some longer songs. Is that like? Well, I think Assass I think Assassins of Youth is like built like an yeah. epic in movements, but it's only like four minutes long, and. I think you have to ask yourself, like, how are people, like, when I see a seven-minute song, I get excited because I, yeah, you know, I think I was just hoping for. I was hoping for like, because they don't, you don't get seven-minute songs often. No, I like seven-minute songs because I know there's going to be cool instrumental or like um, atmospheric parts on them. You know what I mean? Like, it's that. Like, I think I look forward to that. I love it when they do it in hip hop and in rock. I mean, that's what I grew. That's kind of what I grew up on. I mean, some of my favorite, like one of my favorite albums of all time is Animals by Pink Floyd. And those songs are like fucking 11 minutes yeah, long. Feel it. And it's just like movement to movement to movement. And, uh, you know, with an overarching idea. And I love that. And I, I, I mean, I was kind of disappointed because immediately when I see a Flaming Lips album, I'm like, yo, let's check out this, these track times, uh, looking for the epic. But I think they were able to do it in an economic way where like, I'm not, I don't list, I didn't listen to this and felt like I was missing anything, but 
I can always use, you know, a super, you know, a long, you know, a nice long track, a nice long, you know, winding um, musical journey. I'm always into that. Um, this one of the songs I really enjoyed uh, was Mother, Please Don't Be Sad. So basically the song. OK, so Wayne Coyne used to work at Long John Silver's. Is that like a um, restaurant? Yes, which is objectively terrible. By the way, if you're going to Long John Silver's, it's basically everything is deep fried and terrible. Is it like red red lobster kind of, but like deep fried? No, no, no. It's okay. At least red lobster has like cheddar bay biscuits and like something used to be in the sea. But Long John Silver's is just like deep fried fish and deep fried chicken and fucking shitty fries and it's terrible. Unfortunately, I've been there. I lived in the U.S. It was inevitable. We're never going back. Maybe the Hush Puppies are good. There's no need to revisit that place. So he's there, and he was robbed. Like, there was an armed robbery at the uh, the restaurant. He talks about how one minute he's working at fucking Long John Silver's, and the next minute he's face down on the floor, and he's like, I'm 17, and, like, this is how my life is going to end. And that was, like, his first big contemplation about uh, mortality. So this song is kind of about that. It's like an apology of from a guy who is like hey i couldn't get away and the paramedics couldn't um save me and the robbers were too quick and you know i died and you know there's and he's telling his mother not to regret you know not to regret it you know and there's even this like really nice you know laid back guitar solo on it um nothing flashy just you know playing just playing a melody line that's really 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 good and I was just, and it really kind of drives home this narrative and this personal uh, feeling uh, that it gives. And I fucking, like, I love that. Like, I love that, you know, he goes there, it's dark, but at the same time, it's like his voice is alternating between that soprano to falsetto, and he just paints a really, really vivid picture. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of floored by the whole, the whole album and, and like just the feeling the feeling put into it i think and i think like yeah like on a song like that one um uh you and me selling weed uh, it's just like the storytelling and the songwriting i think just like there's just head and shoulders above like a lot of kind of rock music i've heard recently and like i was i'm i'm, I'm kind of just like i think i'm going to put this like at the top of their catalog for me like near the top of the catalog at least. Yeah, and I think it's funny, uh you and me selling weed and um like mother I've taken LSD. I mean, drugs are another thing he's, he I mean, he in interviews he talks about how like psychedelic drugs, you know, they weren't the mind expanding experience for him. They were more like he had bad experiences with them and um it caused him to like, you know, push inwards and you know, this is very much, this is why this is like, it's a weird semi-autobiographical fiction. It's like biographical fiction in that he's talking about his life and his experiences. Um, complete, and like almost real life things that happened to him. But it's more, you know, rooted in these like negative fantasies he's created. And like the idea of drugs and how they are not just a liberating force. Um you know, is, is, is very, very, you know, very dominant, you know, on this. I wanted though to, you know, as we start to get into this compared to their, you know, their other, 
you know, their other, you know, their other albums, a lot of the reviews that exist already on this and even some of the write-ups coming out is they compare it. Well, I've seen comparisons to Pet Sounds. I think it's a, that maybe a little much because Pet Sounds, I do think the songwriting style, but I think the songwriting style of Pet Sounds is pervasive in popular music as a whole, just in general. Um, but uh, they compare it to Soft Bulletin. Like, do you think that these comparisons are sound? I think Soft Bulletin in their catalog might be the only album that's kind of worthy of comparison to this. Like, I think um, the transcendence slash, like, um, transformative kind of action that they were going through on that album, I think mirrors this album. But I think also this album is also kind of like a love letter to like his childhood and his youth and growing up. And I think some of the themes kind of, I don't know, there seems to be like a tie there. Also with like the, the, the kind of like cover and like the, I think there's like something about acid or LSD on the cover of Soft Bolton, like um, with the the artwork. I think it's like a, a, a it's a photo, an original photograph from a Life magazine article on LSD. So I think like this is kind of like part of the course um, of their kind of psych rock. I feel Soft Bolton shifted their direction, which I think is just objectively the situation. You know, as we talked about, rooting it more in lush arrangements and melody. Um, which is all completely evident on this album. Um, it's funny because like before Soft Bulletin, I mean, they put out this album that I I, I think only two tracks of it were on Spotify. Went through. It's called Zyreka, um, which is a combination of Zaire and Eureka, and it's basically a quadruple album that I think amounts to just noise. Um, that uh, hardcore Flaming Lips fans are into. I am not into it. Please at me if you think it's a good record. I will fucking argue it to the death that it is not. First of all, I'm always like, my brain goes off. Listen, I love The Clash. I don't need to listen to all three albums of Sandinista. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, sometimes it's a little fucking much. I think I think bands have problems doing um, double albums, right? Like, the White Album, you may say, is one of the best double albums of all time. I don't need to hear Rocky Raccoon. I don't care what people say about it. Again, at <laughs> I me. I feel like you've said um, this before on this podcast. <laughs> I will fucking say it until I'm dead. Um, you know what I mean? So I like I think that the the comparisons are sound. I think I think it's that level of quality and I think that um it thematically it really you know goes over darkness um you know cuz Soft Bolton was kind of written in the specter of death of a family member and also looks at the negative side of drugs. And this does the same. So I think it almost, this is like a spiritual sequel to it almost, um, which I think is, you know, I think is, which is, think is great and was why I connected to it really well. Um, you touched on where you think it ranks in their work. Like, so where do you think it ranks in their work? If you were to give like a top three, what would it be? Um, for me, I, I probably like, I'm not the most like qualified to claiming lift fan to talk about it but i think for me like i would pro probably put it like i have uh soft bolton at one um i have like a thing where i kind of really like embryotic in 2009 just because of i guess the time period it was and i've just seen them like three years this guy's before. saying he's not qualified and he's busting out embryonic like you're not bust this is these aren't the fucking these aren't the bangers you're getting into some you're getting into some shit there, Coburn. Um, so yeah, I'd probably put this at three, <laughs> three for me. Um, 
have to, and that would be my top three. I think albums I connected to by them. Um, this is at number three for me as well. My favorite is uh, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots. I think it's the closest thing to Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars that is ever. Uh, sorry, the 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 rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust. Uh, that I've heard. I think it, it's just that album is just so incredible and i was listening to it last night and it was just it was fantastic and uh i can i will always love it um soft bulletin number two for me that is probably one of the last truly great albums of the 90s um and then this album this album belongs right up there and if you're a band that is putting out among your best work at this late in your career like i i think that there is a commitment to putting together excellent work at that point i think that it's the the ability to progress and the ability to continually shape your sound and put up work of the highest quality at this point is um, a success in itself because i feel like you see so many bands especially legacy rock bands even older ones who just phone it in and they're just giving you they're just putting out the album and you know it's nothing it doesn't feel thoughtful. This feels thoughtful, and um, I think it's truly among one of their best works, and it's one of my favorite releases of this year so far. Um, did Did you listen so, to yeah. their album last year, King's Mouth? Yes, uh, I did. I didn't think it was bad. Like as I said, I think they put out a, a a pretty. I think they put out good albums. Like I don't. I don't think there is other than Zahirika and like some of their earlier stuff. Which, I mean, I also think there is a schism between uh, Flaming Lip fans where there is some Flaming Lips fans who loves the enti- love the entire breadth of their um, discography, but then there's other ones who are more like late, not, like this newer iteration uh, from the soft bulletin on. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, like they put out generally good stuff. Uh, I really, really liked uh, the last one. I even like Dead Lips this year, which they I'm trying to remember who they did that album with. It was um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was a um, you know, it was like a combo thing. Um, I mean, like, what do you what do you think of them? Like, do you generally think that they put out good albums? Or is there anything that you feel is completely? No, I think they put out really good albums. I think my question would be like, where do they go from here? Like, what's next for a band like the Flaming Lips? Like, do they keep continue to kind of like put out albums every year or do they like 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 well i think that's a good question because i mean okay so if we look at it you start out you're in this fucking college rock scene you're in the you know beginning of alternative nation you sound like the replacements um and then you move into the 90s you're expanding things more and um you know you're getting more experimental you're also like kind of dipping into that grunge sound um, and then you uh, put out one of the best albums of a decade towards the end of that decade, and it completely changes your sound and moves it in a far more experimental direction. And then you kind of loop back to that great album, uh, the soft bulletin with this album. I'm actually, to be very honest with you, not sure what it is. I think to be really the only place to go is to strip down the sound again. Like, and, and kind it's of a go- build, build back, like build into something new. Yeah, I mean that's why I'm surprised. Like that's why I'm surprised the- this album is of that level of quality, because you know they put out good stuff, but 
they're talking this this receive this is receiving you know universal acclaim and like there's been only a few you know kind of bad reviews i've seen about uh, you know with it and i i just don't know where you go from there i will say this like when you look at things like um you know with a little help from my friends uh the the sergeant you know the sergeant pepper cover album there is a willingness to be experimental and to kind of do whatever the fuck they want so i think in that they will do more great work i don't know if it'll be at this level but you can only put out so many albums of that quality i just and i just don't know where they go from there and that's why i'm on the podcast and not the musician yeah yeah that's fair so i think i think that's i think that's the best way to describe it so on our on our patented cog rating system what how many cogs are you are you giving this album i have this as an 8.5 uh and that actually mirrors mine i also am going to give this an 8.5 cogs consensus i simultaneously love it and hate it <laughs> on that note <laughs> on that note coburn uh thank you very much for being here and uh we'll talk soon yeah Thank you.